This podcast was produced on the lands of the Bunurong, Wurundjeri and Gadigal peoples of the Kulin and Eora nations. The Pierce Project wishes to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Peers, a podcast by BIPOC founders for BIPOC founders. I'm Michelle Akidnor, proud biracial Australian and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister, and I'm your host and fellow peer. Join me for soul-enriching conversations with like-minded young BIPOC entrepreneurs from around the globe. Each week, I dive deep into the personal journey of my award-winning guests and unpack who they really are at their core and how they got started in business. With every episode, my mission is to empower you, expand what you think is possible, and hopefully make you feel less alone as a person of colour in business. Thank you so much for being here, peers. Hello, peers, and welcome to a very special bonus episode to kick off 2024. So I have some very big and exciting news for you all. Drum roll, please. So as you may have already seen in today's episode title, we, the Peers Project, have raised investment to officially launch into the US market in 2024. Oh, I could not be more excited and ecstatic about having closed our first ever investment round with private investor Sam Mahmood from SP Ventures out here in LA. Oh, what a moment, peers. For those of you who've been following my journey for over six years now, bootstrapping and building this business, you'll have heard all about the trials and the tribulations of what it took to get this business off the ground. And so I couldn't be more excited for this new chapter of officially launching the Peers Project in the US and making podcasts for Series A and Series B startup founders out here in the USA. What an exciting moment. So in today's very special episode, I sit down with my investor, Sam Mahmood from SP Ventures to have an open, honest and a real conversation about his journey as an entrepreneur and an investor. So in today's ep, we go deep. We learn who Sam is as a person, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, and we hear about the challenges he faced on his own entrepreneurial journey and some of his biggest learnings to date. So in this episode, Sam also shares his investment theory and philosophy called the flywheel effect. And we end up finding out why Sam decided to invest in the Pierce Project, Australia's first and only BIPOC-led women-owned podcast agency, and what he looks out for when investing in businesses. This is a big one, Piers, and I hope you're all getting pumped and excited for it. But before we dive in, I'd love if you could please hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. As always, head over to our Instagram. We're at The Peers Project and follow us over there. And you can follow Sam and myself on LinkedIn. I'm at Michelle Akidnor and Sam is at Sam Mahmood. And you can also subscribe to Sam's newsletter, which drops each and every Friday and is filled with gems of wisdom and actionable advice on how to build a scalable business for a scalable life. Okay, peers, without further ado, 
take a listen to today's conversation with my investor, Sam Mahmood. Sam, welcome to Peers Podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. You know, Sam, this is the first time that you and I have actually met in person and my first time out here in LA. So it's a very exciting moment. It's very, very special. And I wanted to take a moment to officially welcome you to the Pierce Project team. You and I have been in and out, back and forth the last couple of months working together, but this is definitely the official moment. So welcome on board. I couldn't be more wrapped to have you on board as my investor and as part of our team as we officially launch out here in the US this year. So very exciting. I'm very, very excited to work with you for the near future. Awesome. So before we dive into the investment and your investment philosophy, I wanted to start by getting to know you a little bit better on that peer-to-peer level, which is what we're all about here at Peers. So Sam, tell us, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, I grew up in San Diego uh, to two immigrant parents. They actually fled the war in Iraq in the 1970s. And then when they came to San Diego, their first priority was just to raise their three children. So I grew up in a family of two older sisters. So three women in my family and knowing a lot about how women should be raised, how women should be treated. And that was a big philosophy within the family that I was from. And I think a big thing that my parents always wanted to embed in me was have the highest level of respect to everyone around you. And that will always cherish in longevity. And to this day, that's probably the one tombstone that I always carry with me. I love that. I love that that was their philosophy that they instilled in you. Was there anything else that I guess your parents taught you growing up that stuck with you as you've gone through your years? Yeah, my dad was a pretty ruthless entrepreneur. Um, At an early age, um, when I got in trouble, he would drag me to work. And he runs a hard money lending business. They're doing payday loans for people in suburbs of San Diego that aren't the most glamorous. So he would actually make me look at profit and loss statements by the age of 12 years old and count cash at the register and make sure the cash was exactly to what he had balanced at the beginning stage of the actual workday. And if it was off, he would punish me, right? So I had different forms of punishment growing up. And I thought those things have really led to who I am today. You know, people who come from an immigrant background can maybe resonate with this a little bit more as your parents want you to be who they want you to be, right? Sometimes you do have to let your parents' dreams die for yours to live, but you need to take those in consideration to they want what's best for you. And there are certain attributes for what they want to instill with you that is good and some things that maybe don't resonate with modern society today. And I've been able to bifurcate those two things and take it with a grain of salt of how I'm going to extrapolate that into where I really want to go in my future. And I am beyond thankful of who I've turned into today based off their raising. And... I really enjoy coming from an immigrant background because I saw what hard feels like. You know, every time I compare something to something very difficult, well, I said, well, my mother saw her brother get shot like in front of her eyes and then had to flee the country, go to Russia, got a degree there, came to the U.S., no, no English whatsoever. And now she built a business. My father has built a business. And my dad always told me, like, never work for anyone. Like, you need to go figure it out. And my first job was um, in global supply chain for a medical device company. And I knew I had constraints within that company because I was limited based off of what my capacity was in the sense that I dictated where all the heart valves went around the world. 
And I was never praised for any success. I was only hit on when failures happened. And he told me, he's like, you know, you're, you live and die by these spreadsheets that you make, but there's a constraint there. So early on, he told me, you need to remove that roof. And that roof is what's going to limit you from being who you really want to be. And I think when that quote really like instilled into my body, I knew I had to go into the realm of entrepreneurship at the earliest age I can. So by 25, you know, that's when I started my first company. It's so interesting, I think, coming from an immigrant background. I obviously also do. So my mum is Greek, my dad's Nigerian, and mum was born out in Australia. And so many of my three sisters were born in Australia. But I think when you grow up seeing how tough it was for them and how much they just fought for everything, you know, I think that just shapes you so differently as you grow up. And I think this is where you and I have a common ground, Sam. And I think it's rare, unless you've experienced it, do you understand what that really means? And so I find it fascinating that for you, you know, your dad was such a cutthroat entrepreneur and he was like, this is the only way, business is the only way. Did you ever feel a sense of pressure from your parents to kind of perform to be the best? And if so, how did you navigate through that? And for our peers out there listening who perhaps are experiencing that, what advice would you give to us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you come from an immigrant family, you're supposed to do one of three things. You be a doctor, you be a lawyer, you be an engineer, right? I did none of those things. And I'm totally okay with doing that. But what they want to see is that you are on a mission and you're doing the right thing within your life. And they see traction, right? So early on with the pressure that came to me, I said, well, where do I want to take my skill set today to prove my parents that I'm going to be who I say I want to be? So I found what was effortless for me, right? And I told my parents, I said, look, I could go get a degree in a medical degree or a law degree and be half a million dollars in debt. Or I could do what I do best. And for me, I was very good at communicating with people. I was very good at selling. And I told them, this is where I want to pursue my career in like building businesses, building in sales, and helping influence others become the best version of themselves. You know, to immigrant parents, they might not understand that because they don't come from a sales or a sales background per se. But I knew for a fact that I wanted to have big impact to help other people grow. And that was the form of leverage that I knew I can go make impact on. So it goes back to what I said earlier was, even though my parents wanted to pressure me into something to square peg round hole in an industry or a job that I did not want to do, I was able to conform around that to go in a route that made it amicable for both our relationships to thrive still, right? And I think if you're a young person today and your parents are pressuring you, you just have to explain the journey in a way that they can understand. The biggest difference between you know, 2024 and maybe 1980 was we live in a world where entrepreneurship is easily accessible today. So I just heard from the CEO of Shopify talk about this, that one out of four people are pursuing entrepreneurship in 2024 over the age of 24. So the reason for that is because the risk of failure is so minimal. All it takes is you to pay 40 bucks a month on Shopify, create a landing page, get a Stripe account, and now you have a business to go charge a product or service. Back in the day, when my parents were growing up, they had to fight to go and put food on the table, right? They didn't have social media influencing. They didn't have an abundance of leverage via tech and media. Today, we have an abundance of that. So I think that's the biggest discrepancy of trying to embed to your parents who don't live in modern age society today of how businesses are ran and trying to evoke that in a way that they can understand. And when you can do that, I think at that point, they start understanding that times have changed. And if you can get them behind you to understand where business is really growing, 
they could evolve with you and becomes a great partnership for your growth because every decade is going to completely change. We're seeing people get out of Tesla trucks and have these VR vision goggles on and it looks like they're coming out of space, right? What's next? So I think these are the things when it comes back to pressure is like really explaining your path to your parents and knowing that your journey is meant for you, not for them. How can we get better at pursuing the journey that we actually want to take, our own path, rather than conforming to what others want for us? Yeah. So we live in a world where we can consume a lot um, via social media, internet, and that can drive and dictate us towards paths that we think we want to go down, but it's probably not the best path for us. So like my thesis was, I had a mentor told me this, he's like, find what's effortless to you. And when you find what's effortless to you, you can go pursue something very deep and very narrow and become an expert at that. And domain experience comes from that too. When you have domain experience, that builds confidence. And confidence allows you to go and step in front of stages of people and talk to hundreds of people of what you've done because it came effortless to you. And you may ask me, well, what if I don't know what comes effortless to me today? I say, I promise you, if you look in the mirror and see what you can do that is effortless to you, you will find something within that that you can create your own niche. So oftentimes I say, go to A to B with the least path of resistance, right? And find small wins along the way. When you can do that and you block out the noise, you start making progress in something. And when you start making progress in something, that builds confidence. And confidence is just a lot of knowledge that you start to incur from doing something over and over again. And I just focused on that um, as I started getting to my career. I said, like, what can I consistently do over and over again and make small little wins that will equal up to something big? So I think that's pretty much my thesis there. I love that like small wins, you know, take them on board and just keep going. I think for me, when I reflect on my journey, it was those small wins that allowed me to keep going. And I think sometimes the journey of entrepreneurship can just be so demoralizing. Like it can feel like you're giving it everything you've got and still you're not seeing the result or still you haven't made the first million or still, still. So what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who are deep in the grind? You know, they've been hustling away. Maybe it's been a couple of years now. They're not really seeing the results that they're after. What would your advice be to us so that we could keep going? So if you're not seeing results today, you're probably doing too much. It's pretty simple in the sense, and you see people like Alex Ramosi talk about this a lot, where you want to just have a simple path to your first $100,000 per se. And that's literally repeating one system to one channel over and over again. And if you can do that, I promise you, and you do that really well, and you hone in the craft, you will see growth upon that, correct? But oftentimes we want to have six or seven businesses going on and we're scattered and we're going 20% in five directions while someone's going out there and kicking your ass 100% in one direction. Being able to have forceful direction in one area is the most important thing when you get going. Great example, I was 25 when I started my medical device company. My sole fiduciary obligation was how do I get as many neurosurgeons to use my product? Nothing else fucking mattered. So when I focused on that, I had a total addressable market of, let's say, a few hundred neurosurgeons within a Southern California area. I was able to build three or $4 million worth of sales targeting such a small niche that not many people could do. Neurosurgeons were some of the hardest people to ever sell to. Why? They are the smartest individuals. They go to residency for eight years, medical school for four, and undergrad for four. And they actually add a fellowship in there. And I'm supposed to sell a product to them that is their domain expertise 
but I'm this young 25-year-old kid thinking that I know what this actually does, right? So what did that do to me, right? It allowed me to understand how to speak in a very egalitarian way, understand me how to build confidence. It really allowed me to start honing in on what I'm really good at and being able to do that in an environment that was uncomfortable. And when you can overcome the uncomfortable times and putting yourself in environments that allow you to start growing, that's when you start becoming really good. And I take those times of like speaking to physicians at the age of 25, and now I do it at the age of 32. This is effortless for me. So I have seven years of deep experience in the space where I went all in on that. But now I get to do more things, right? Now I can expand my horizon. So it's very similar to taking a bone arrow and shooting it at a dartboard and you get a bullseye, but that bullseye eventually will start to just expand for you. And you'll start being a little bit wider in your approach and you start creating more leverage, more revenue streams. But ultimately like your first hundred thousand, your first half a million, your first million dollars is going all in in one path. And when you can do that, at that point, you can look up a little bit and say, okay, how can I add more forms of leverage to this, right? Early in your career, it's hard to understand what leverage is, right? I love Naval Ravikant. He's my idol. I wish I could have him as a mentor. And he really talks about the four forms of leverage that I think is probably the best concept that any young entrepreneur, any actually W2 employee should know as well. So there's four forms in the sense that there's media, technology, labor, and capital. Two come permissionless and two come with permission. Permissionless leverage is the highest form in today's society, media and technology. We are sitting in a podcast today. You are going to record this. You will make several clips out of this. And this will live on the internet and YouTube in perpetuity, right? Getting millions and millions of views, hopefully, right? That can maybe give you some residual income. Then there's technology, right? You don't need to ask anyone to go create a landing page, put a Stripe account together and go offer services, correct? And then there's money and labor. These are a little bit more antiquated forms of leverage. But money is like, hey, if you can go raise capital and go deploy that into businesses or real estate, you have to go ask people for money. So it's not permissionless whatsoever. And then there's labor, the most antiquated form of of actual leverage today. We used to think that having companies with 500 people, 1,000 people was considered a very astronomical company to have. You were boastful about that. But if you see actually today... People are very much pursuing solopreneurship, right? Because there's a lot of risk with having a ton of labor underneath you. But labor leverage is, in my opinion, the toughest, right? And I've, I've worked a lot with labor leverage because you have to ask people to see the vision of what you're trying to build. And it's very hard to get people behind you sometimes if they are not compensated in the same way that you are, right? And they always want more. So one thing that you should hone in from the, what I'm saying right here from these four forms of leverage is pick one and do it really well. You don't have to do all four. Eventually, you will start dabbling in all of them potentially because you need people. You might need capital. You might need some media and marketing, right? And you're going to advance yourself with technology. But when you start, just choose one. I have a friend who solely focuses on capital raising. His name is Sam Silverman, good friend of mine. And he only does capital raising for real estate. This guy built a $70 million fund just focusing on capital raising. And he had built a mastermind community just on capital raising. And that's his niche. He's gone all in on that, right? At this point now, he can potentially go and expand into other realms because he's built domain experience. He's built authority in a space. And I highly respect that. Amen. Oh my goodness. I'm just taking this all in. And I think so many of our peers out there listening are probably as deep as I am into this convo and listening to Sam and, and all of your knowledge. And so I think you gave us a lot there, Sam. I think if I was to ask, what is the first step that we should take 
if we're just starting out, you know, if we've got an idea and we think, okay, this is the niche I want to go down. These are the people I want to serve. What is that very first step? Okay. There's a big difference between a to-do list and a not to-do list, right? The not to-do list is more important. Knowing what you don't want is more important knowing what you do want, right? So, you know, oftentimes we want to build a business and then we don't realize what the repercussions are from that, right? So early on when I start anything now, I have something called an investment calculator. I call it maybe a little bit proprietary to me, but basically if you look at this and if you can envision this um, on a whiteboard, on the x-axis, you have the things that you're looking for within the business. So maybe it's like, hey, I only work four hours. It allows me to have a healthy lifestyle to go run at five o'clock. I can do yoga at 6 p.m. and so on and so on. Like this, these are these are important things for your personal life. And on the left are your options for what you're looking to go pursue, right? Maybe it's a media company, maybe it's a tech startup, maybe it's a financial service company. From that, you add a number to each category from one to 10, right? Ultimately, if it hits a seven, and so it's saying this financial tech service company is an eight and allows me to, I can go to yoga class at 6 p.m. every single Tuesday, then that's a win, right? So at the end of all that, you put your subcategories together and you take the mean of all the things that you put on the x-axis and you say, okay, is this a seven out of 10? And what that means is like, if it's a seven out of 10, you should at least pursue it a little bit deeper. If it's not, put it in the trash because ultimately you're trying to build something for your life that can pursue you to do this in longevity and perpetuity, right? I'm not saying the first business that you start, you need to do it forever. But ultimately, like my thesis to life is like, if you are going to do it for a day, don't you want to go pursue it for the next 20, 30 years so you can build depth within that? So it's always the first thing I start with. It's an investment calculator. I can share a link to it. I give it to a lot of people as well. And it really brings a lot of clarity to them. It's probably the most useful tool I've ever done. So today, even when I look at companies and when I want to evaluate companies, this is exactly what I put them into. And I evaluate it in a sense. I'm like, first, is this company going to help me as well? with what I'm trying to go and build. And secondly, they should also use this for their company as well because I want them to know that they're building a company around their lifestyle that they want. Like, trust me, it's not fun to even build a company that brings you $100,000 a month and you feel stressed out where you you can't even like wake up the next day and you can't sleep all at night. There's no point to building it. So, you know, early on, it's about reverse engineering the outcome as much as possible. There's a great book called Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. One of my favorite books, I actually have a tattoo of it on my arm right here, it says Vivid Vision, and it's reversing the three-year outcome. And three years is great because it's somewhat attainable, it's somewhat distant, but then it allows you to really create a clear path of what you're trying to do within three years, right? And you build building blocks within that, and you're writing in the past tense every six months about where you are in the business. So you are starting the business today, but then in six months, you're already writing in past tense about what the next six months looks like. That is powerful as fuck to go do that. Because what it does, it builds like confidence in yourself saying, I've done this. Now you have to go do it, right? And when you know you have to go do it at that point, going from A to B becomes a lot easier, right? It's like I have men, people who, you know, put their workouts on social media and then like they're showing their workouts during social media when they're actually running and putting their times out there. It's because they owe it to the world that they're going to hit those numbers and do what they say. So that's probably the first thing I would do. It's funny, you know, I, I love how you say that even if you're making 100 grand a month or whatever it is and you're hating your life, what is almost the point of that and building something around what you love, which is everything that we're about here appears and we talk a lot about on this show. But just out of curiosity, has there ever been a time for you where 
you know, you're waking up and you're like, what the hell? I'm running so thin. Like, I can't believe I'm still at this. I'm not seeing results. You know, it's such a challenge. Was there ever a time for you in your journey where you felt that? And if so, how did you navigate through that time? Too often. Mm, yeah. And I, welcome to business. <laughs> welcome to business. And it will happen to you. And it's because you don't have the machine built. So when you start, you don't have a machine at all. Maybe you might be smarter than me and you do, but early on, most people, they just want to go and make their first buck. But the reason why you're burnt out and the reason why you feel like you can't sleep and you don't want to walk into the office next day, because your systems suck, your machines suck, right? And let's just be honest. You take it, for example, that you have a car and you're taking it into service every single day and they're not doing the right job. How are you going to operate the car, right? So you want to make sure that you are building the machine, the systems that allows you to have the best leverage on your time. And that's when things start getting fun. If you understand how to do that from an early stage and take the time outside of the working hours to say, how am I optimizing everything within the company through a Notion dashboard, through Zapier, whatever it may be to connect all the platforms and hone things in, I promise you life becomes easier because that machine will start doing the work for you. For our piece out there listening who... Perhaps they're doing that, you know, perhaps they're like, got my notion, I've got my systems, et cetera, but I still just feel like this is a lot. What could help us continue? Just continue. We don't have to be excellent. You know, I think my biggest thing is as long as you stay in the game, you're okay. You know, what has helped you in the past to stay in the game when you feel like it's just chaotic and no matter what you do, it's just, it's all going to shit. First and foremost is like, why are you pursuing this in the first place? You have to go back to the day that you wanted to start this company and this endeavor per se. And ask yourself like, this is why I started this. And I look at it today, I'm, I'm two years in. And I look back the first day and say, things have changed a lot, right? This is not what I expected it to be. And if the measurements of units of input don't match units of output for a long period of time, at that point, you may have to reassess, Right. But have you endured enough pain, uncomfortableness throughout the time and say, if you were to walk away today, have you given it your all? And that's always my testament for anything, whether I work out or start a business, did I give it my all? And I've done some stuff that I've walked away from that I have gave it my all. Like the propane and the gas tank is completely done. And I walked away and said, you know what? I'm not mad at all that I walked away from that because it just was a poor leverage on my time. And I don't think I got the best out of me for me and my future. And it allowed me to understand how to actually walk away from things at the same time. So it's totally okay to pivot, right? And we're probably in a stage where there's the highest amount of people doing what they're doing right now and they're uncomfortable. I probably get 10 to 15 people who are in mid-transition between jobs or businesses right now who are looking to get out. It's oftentimes just because they haven't seen the progress that they want to see. Really comes down to what I said earlier is they're probably doing too much and not doing the right things. And it's hard to understand what the right things are because entrepreneurship does not have a playbook. So you have to go and create the playbook by having a ton of reps and time in. There's nothing else to really fathom for that at all. So ultimately, we want to have this perfect playbook to say, this is how you get to a million dollars. But unfortunately, you might as well just go work for a company and let them direct you on that because doing it on yourself is much more difficult than that. Oh, Sam, I'm loving this. I just want to shift gears a little bit and talk about this idea of health. And, you know, I think for you, you've got this saying, better health for better wealth. And I love that. But I want to understand a little bit more about 
what that health journey has been like for you. You know, I know you're big in personal development, professional development, and then also kind of your your exercise and whatnot. What does that saying mean to you? And what has your journey and health been like? So Michelle, I have a very unique situation where my business has monetized from other people's illnesses, if you think about that, right? So I've probably seen between brain, spine, and cardiac surgery over a thousand surgeries, right? When I see these patients in pre-op going into surgery, I ask myself, how did they get there, right? And I look at them almost like eye to eye. And when I walk by, I almost just think about this and say, I never ever want to be on that table. Yet we're putting in thousands of dollars worth of implants and hardware into patients. And we benefit from that, right? For me, it's like I'm in this space of treating people's illnesses through bad backs, brain tumors, cardiac bypasses. I see it firsthand. My team sees it firsthand. They're in there every single day. We do almost 500 surgeries a year. And for me now, I said, well, how do I be in the game as long as possible? You see people like Brian Johnson who are spending millions of dollars a year on their body and he created a blueprint and built a huge business out of this now, right? So we're in a space of longevity, right? And I think that if you are going to do some sort of endeavor or business today, you have to build it so you can last. So there's no point of building a $100 million business or knowing that you have a high chance of getting cardiac bypass surgery or getting a tumor. All that comes from stress. And for me, you know, I'd rather be a humble middle-income person knowing that I have the best health and I'm going to live the longest, most beautiful life. I love that. And I think that sometimes we just neglect our health. Like, I mean, as entrepreneurs, I think we're running to the next milestone. What can I do for my people? What can I do for my investors? What can I do for myself? And I think sometimes that idea of me and like looking after me, whether it be mental health or physical health, just sometimes gets thrown out the window. But to our peers out there listening who just kind of feel like that, they're like, you know what, I hear you, Sam, but like, I've got people to pay and like I've got things to do. How can we get better at integrating those healthy practices in our day-to-day? So you have to create space from whatever you're doing on a day-to-day basis. What I mean by that is space is so healthy to bifurcate from what you're doing on a day-to-day. I am very big on making sure that I stop everything that I'm doing at a certain hour and give myself a clear mind to go for a walk with my dog or when I'm working out, I am not thinking about the business during that time. There is a sense of a dopamine that starts to happen when you can get tuned in on just letting go. I promise you that is the best therapy I've ever learned. And again, a couple things too is like there's a great book by Mark Manson called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. It's a bestseller. Everybody knows it. There's one part about that book that I take today and I'll take the rest of my life. He talks about like take three things and put your energy towards that maybe per month, right? If you start putting your energy towards so many things throughout the day, throughout the month, you are constantly operating on like a 50% gas tank, right? So when you are in your business, oftentimes we're not even like working the full time we're saying we're working, right? There's a there's a timer effect that I like to say. We're like, put a timer on and then actually do the work and see what the work that you're doing and then stop and go check out for a sec. All that comes back to a better way of being able to be higher leverage with your time, having a better healthy lifestyle and knowing that your inputs to output ratio are starting to catapult one another, right? If you can do those things really, really well and focus where your energy goes, your stress levels go down, right? And you will actually get higher output 
and be able to pay your bills, pay back your investors, all those things, knowing that you are more productive. The whole goal of leverage is like units of input for units of output, right? People say everyone works 40 hours a week, but ultimately a lot of people can get that done in 20 if they really wanted to. Or four, like Tim Ferriss says, right? The four-hour work week. So if you can just hone in on that, I think there's a high amount of leverage that you can get back for your health and for your business that you're trying to build. Was there a time for you where you were just like, oh, it's not happening. I'm putting in so much and I'm not, you know. Where did that mindset shift come from for you? Or were you just always thinking in that way? It takes time to learn this stuff. And it takes a lot of errors. And you have to start like listening to yourself and only yourself. There's a lot of noise out there that you have to filter out. And I think that if you are putting an immense amount of input into something and seeing minimal results today, you're probably just in a four out of 10 opportunity. And maybe you do have a nine out of 10 skill set. And you have to make sure that you are addressing that situation. You know, oftentimes I see people in a 10 out of 10 opportunity and their skill sets may be a five out of 10, but they're thriving, right? So if you're not thriving today, it's probably the opportunity. And unless if it's a skill set that you think that you do have, and you're not thriving, you probably need to hone in on that skill set a little bit more. And when you know the skill set that you're trying to go pursue, I promise you, you should be the best in that area and you should be able to have better deal flow, better sales happening within your business because you've done the work to go grow that. If you have self-doubt about what you're building today, it's usually because you don't have enough experience in what you're doing. I promise you, if you put the work in and you are one of the best and people around you know you for being the best at your craft in that area, you will do just fine. I think, and this is a bit more for the female entrepreneurs out there listening, I think as women, we have a bit more of that self-doubt thing that comes through. And I think, again, I'm sure men get this as well, but, you know, we call it the imposter syndrome of like, oh, am I good enough? And like, should I be doing this? You know, to our peers out there listening, it's definitely something I felt in the past. For our peers out there listening who perhaps are experiencing that and just go, you know what, I, I know I've got the skills, I know I've got what it takes, but like far out, is it me? You know, what advice or just guidance would you give to us around combating that and and kind of almost leaning into it so that we can appreciate that it's not just about us? Yeah. So if you're in a gray area and you're a female per se too, playing in a male's game, for example, right? And I think this could touch on your audience quite well. Hone in on that really well. Oftentimes when we're in a gray area and we're unsure, we want to actually redact that, which is one of the worst things you should do. You want to know why you're feeling like this and get to the root cause and unravel that as much as possible. Rich Roll talks about this. He's a health and wellness guy. He owns a bunch of companies. And I love what he says about this because we often sometimes don't know all the answers. Is that fair to say? What we can do is trust our gut as much as possible. And if we can trust ourselves knowing that we are giving the highest amount of effort into what we're doing as a woman in an environment that isn't favored to us, Think about it for me, when I was a 25-year-old guy who's Middle Eastern playing in a white man's game of medical device, I was the only one doing it. I had to just go work 10 times harder. So if I were to ask you this and look in the mirror and say, are you working three or four or five times harder than everyone else around you? If you think you are a woman playing in an environment that isn't parlaying you for growth because you're surrounded by male dominant people in this space, right? And that's a litmus test. And oftentimes people lie about the limits test saying we are doing the work, but in reality, are you sure you're not watching Netflix at 7 p.m. 
right? Like I don't watch TV too much. I am putting in hours and effort to work at all time, honing in on my craft and what I can become better at. And and there's a lot of negligence that goes with that, right? It's hard to build relationships with other people because I'm in my craft at all times. I'm wanting to grow. I'm a Capricorn. You can call it for whatever it is, right? It's one of those things where that this stuff, I live, breathe, and die by this stuff, and I love it. And you have to ask yourself, are you going to go and be a shoulder head better than everyone else? And if you're not, you have to have a realization factor and look in the mirror and be okay with that and be honest. When I try to go pursue soccer, before I got into medical device, I played collegially at Division One level, and then I try to go play professionally overseas and here in the U.S., and I got these somewhat shit contracts per se, where maybe going to make 800 bucks a month. And I knew I was going to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo or David Beckham. And I had to be honest with myself. Literally, the day I decided to drop the football boots, the next day, my mind switched like a light bulb. And I said, I'm going all in to make money. Right? So it's the realization factor that you have to be super honest with yourself. And it's very hard to do that today because we are living in a world of social media where we think we are someone else. These followers make us emphatic to who we are, but in reality, we're depressed when we go to bed, right? So there's some misalignment there sometimes out there, and I want people to understand, just be who you are, whether you have a huge following or not. In the end, like when no one's around and you're looking in the mirror before you go to bed, is that who you say you are? Are you doing the things that you say you actually can go accomplish? And that will be the true litmus test. Powerful stuff. Oh my goodness. I'm loving this. So I want to talk a bit about the investment and just kind of your transition into becoming an investor. So you talked about, you know, your journey was trying to be a footballer or a soccer player, you know, and then moving into entrepreneurship, medical device journey, and hustling away at 25 to sell your products to really high-level surgeons. Talk to us a little bit about the transition very recently into becoming an investor, what your philosophy is, and why you decided to go down this route. Yeah, it was very natural. So I picked up a handful of consulting jobs for different companies within medical device and there was always investor meetings happening throughout those calls. They were trying to raise money for a certain product. I was the main liaison to, to lubricate that process, bringing the right physicians to the table and make sure there was merit to go raise capital upon that and make a development for this, right? And I realized when I was doing this and getting paid a handsome amount of money from companies to go do this, I said, I might as well just go do this for myself. So I said, well, what's the highest leverage of my time? If I create a holding company of a portfolio of businesses that are, in my favor, cash flowing more service-based businesses... And that's where my domain expertise is, is building a cash flowing service-based business that I did for seven years that I can go and say, I did. Very, very important. That is high leverage of my time. And I said, okay, this is where I think I can go thrive for the next 15, 20 years. And I absolutely fucking love it, right? So I was like, how can I go motivate other entrepreneurs, CEOs, founders of companies and engineer success in them, right? Through people that I know, my team, partial CMOs, partial CTOs, they go in there like I'm doing with yourself and enhancing the engineering success through things that I know from my experience and my failures. So you don't have to step in those potholes. And I think this is the funnest part of my life right now, being at the age of 32. I can see myself doing this for another 20 years and building a small little S&P 500, right? We call it S&P Ventures because I just want to outbeat the S&P 500 throughout my own holding company. And I think this is probably the funnest time I'm going to have in my early 30s. And I'm really excited to see where it's going to take us. It's so exciting. And I'm so excited to be a part of it, honestly. (laughs) It's very, very cool. Can you talk to us a little bit about the flywheel effect, what that means in terms of your investment philosophy? 
Yeah, so if you look at what a flywheel is, it's basically when you put something into this, it starts to lubricate the process so it gets easier. So creating a flywheel is engineering two things to make successful together, right? And ultimately, at the same time too, is like when you put something in, you get more for what you get out. So if I continue to create these type of connections within businesses, within investments that I do, things just become easier, right? So oftentimes you see people creating a flywheel around content, around other businesses, and it's the highest form of leverage that you can do within anything that you're trying to create because ultimately what you're trying to do is relinquish control within the business that you're trying to do. And the only way to do that is going back to what I said earlier is this is a machine, a flywheel that's constantly moving 24-7 without you. And when you have that built in place through people, through technology, through systems, that flywheel is doing all the work for you. And that's the most important thing within your company. I love it. So Sam, let's talk about the Pierce Project. Let's do it. So <laughs> very, very exciting. S&P Ventures times the Pierce Project, this should be labeled. So talk to us a little bit about your decision to invest in the business. How did that come about? And what made you go, you know what, this yep. is something I want to do. It's very easy, actually. I probably speak to a handful of companies per week that we may look to invest in, we may look to go raise capital for. And I judge a lot of things without them knowing I'm judging. So when they show up to meetings, you know, how well do they know their numbers? How well do they know their business? How prepared are they? How well prepared is their deck? So when I saw all the little things that you were doing, every meeting that we had, your numbers were clean, your decks were clean, you live and breathe and die by the purest project. Your face, your voice, everything is built for podcast marketing and agency. All those things started to create a flywheel around that. Secondly, who are you going after? Your customer base. So customer base is very important to me, right? If you look at the business I built at Medical Device, my customers are Georgetown, Yale, UCLA, USC, Kaiser, big, big hospital accounts backed by government agencies, right? Sustainable customers. And your company is only as good as your customers. Michelle has built a company humbly around Shopify, Alibaba, Indeed, and going after Series A and Series B founders, I really like that. Those are high-paying, grossing customers that have huge LTV. So for me, that makes a lot of sense in saying, okay, there's a high-margin service-based business that has sustainable customers and a founder that has fucking badass, and she can go in there and create a ton of value for these people, and she will live and kill for this company. So those things just all started to make sense. And I said, well, can I create some sort of cheat code for her to grow the company, right? The whole part of investment is that I am unlocking a cheat code for someone or the whole point of bringing a partnership together is unlocking cheat codes, right? And I knew I could just from the people that I work with, the other companies that I know, the founders I know from different industries. I talked to a lot of people who raise capital all the time. And I said, okay, what is the biggest arbitrage that she's looking for? What these people are looking for? The flywheel is I can connect her to people who are raising money from the Rolodex of people that I have. Let's make that happen. I love it. It's so exciting. Honestly, it's definitely a big, I guess, moment in my company and where I'm at. And so it's just so cool to be doing this with you. And here we are in LA, bloody making it happen. So it's super cool. And I so appreciate it. And it's so exciting to have you on board. Oh, love it, team. What a conversation. What a podcast. Sam, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish every episode of Peers. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value of that is very simple, is ultimately you are going to be a very old person one day and look back on these times and you will tell great stories from that. So knowing that your journey today 
is that you are going to impact a lot of people and tell amazing stories to your grandkids, whatever it may be, that the journey that you are pursuing today. And if you put that in the limelight of the actions that you take every single day and the audacious goals that you're going after, are these the things that you want to tell when you're much older? If it is, go fucking all in, right? If it isn't, pivot. Because your next pivot will always be better than your last if you have self-belief. I had a mentor tell me that and it was probably the most impactful thing ever because I had to make a lot of different pivots throughout my career. And I realized this, that I want to go make impactful decisions to people, to businesses, and do this for the next 30, 40 years. So the day I stopped doing this, I said, wow, that was an awesome journey. I have so many memories and so many stories to tell. And the time that before I die, I can go tell that to a bunch of people. And hopefully they are impacted in a way that allows them to do the same. Sam Mahmood, everyone. Thank you so much, Sam. It's been absolutely awesome. We've loved having you on board. Where can we learn more about you and SMP Ventures? Our website is spventures.io. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. It's Sam Mahmood or The Sam Mahmood on Instagram and Twitter. Always happy to connect with other people. If you have an awesome business, let me know. We love raising capital from retail investors and private equity as well. So just give us a shout. Awesome. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Peers. If you're liking what we're doing here and resonate with our mission of amplifying BIPOC founder stories, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Also, head over to our Instagram and follow us. We're at The Peers Project. And you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn and Insta. I'm at Mish Echidinal. I adore you oh so very much, Peers. Until next time.